Welcome to the My Best Mom Friend Podcast. My name is Sandra, and I'm the virtual mom bestie you didn't know you needed. Grab a cup, make yourself comfortable, and allow me to spill the tea on motherhood. Welcome back to the My Best Mom Friend Podcast. I had the opportunity to sit down with John Fogel from At Whole Parent, and let me just say, this conversation blew my mind. I am all about learning about different parenting styles and trying to do things differently with my son than what was modeled for me. And to have someone else, I believe he's also in his 30s like me, be able to talk so well about parenting from like a psychological standpoint and also in actionable ways I mean, it just truly blew my mind. It was such a great hour-long conversation. But before we jump in, there are a couple of terms that we throw around several times. So if you you know, are just now learning about things like cycle breaking and parenting styles, I do want to quickly just um, give you the definition of what they mean so that the rest of the context makes sense to you. So I will start with what authoritarian parenting is, and that's one of like four styles of parenting, um, which is extremely strict parenting. So it places really high expectations on children with little responsiveness. As an authoritarian parent, you focus more on obedience and discipline and control rather than nurturing your child. So when I say I am practicing conscious parenting, it's basically the complete opposite of that. Um, We also talk about being a cycle breaker. And so that refers to a person that's intentionally changing multi-generational family patterns. So that involves um, both really deep introspective work and intentional behavioral changes. Um, And then the last thing that we talk about is reparenting. So reparenting yourself, which is when you reflect on your life and you identify the areas in which, you know, certain things have kind of failed as a result of being poorly parented as a child. And then you decide how you will address these shortcomings as an adult. So again, it is um, kind of getting real with yourself about your your inner wounds and how they affect you Um, and it gives you an opportunity to reparent that younger part of you um, and spend time you know with your inner child and kind of recreate certain maybe more traumatic childhood experiences so that they can continue to live in your brain in maybe a healthier way and that I mean the whole goal of all of this for, for me and for anyone else doing this is to just parent our own children perhaps differently than we were parented. Um, this is not just like a shot at my parents at all. I think most of us millennials or many of us were parented in this more authoritarian style where there was spanking, hitting, yelling, shaming, different things like that. I think that was just really, really normal in like the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I know that that's how most of our parents were parented as well, and maybe even worse, right? So that's kind of what this episode is about, along with me just sharing with John some like basic toddler problems, in quotes, toddler problems that we've been having, and how to navigate that. So even if you're not in this like conscious parenting, reparenting, cycle breaking journey I think that you're going to get a lot out of this episode because we talk about basic things like how to cope with toddler whining so let's jump in I'm sitting here with John Fogel from Whole Parent today so you are the dad parenting guru right yeah well I'm a dad and some people say that I'm a parenting guru my wife says that I'm just a good dad so uh yeah that's that's me I'll take that so, well, I mean, I've gotten a lot of great information off of your Instagram and your TikTok, and I just subscribed to your newsletter. So I'm excited to get all of those emails too, because I know you elaborate a lot in those newsletters. I think it probably costs two or $300 to sit down with a parenting specialist. So I'm getting you for free. So are you ready to answer all of my current toddler parenting problem questions? 
I I am ready to try. <laughs> cool. Let's jump in. And then at the end, I would love it if you would share with the listeners everything about your course that you're launching or relaunching so that yeah, yeah, they sure. can actually benefit with some one-on-one and some group time with you as well. Yeah. Well, this is, I mean, this is exactly what I do, right? I sit down every week with a group of, you know, it, it varies depending on the time that we do it, but on Zoom with a group of parents who are in the membership and and they just get to do exactly what you're about to do. So I'm pumped. Let's do it. Let's get into it. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, cool. And I actually discussed this with my husband because he's actually the one that found you on TikTok. I find all the mom creators that I connect with and hadn't found any dads and he found you and he found dads who try who I've connected with as well. So it's fun to not just talk to other moms. So he and I were kind of talking, thinking about like what I should even talk to you about today. So our biggest problem area, I guess, if you will, we've been dealing with lately with our two and a half year old son is the whining. Mm, mm, it's yeah, been yeah. it's been very interesting and what's more interesting to me is that I'm someone and I talk about this a lot like I have ADHD as a mom I get super overstimulated and like any extra like external noise drives me insane but yeah. for some odd reason the whining never really bothers me <laughs> And I know for so many parents, I see this online, they're like, whining is my biggest trigger. Like it aggravates Mm -hmm. parents so much. And half the time I don't even notice it. So he'll whine at me and say like in a whining voice, mommy, like hold me or like how I I can't even pretend to sound like him. And I immediately just go and pick him up or do whatever it is that he's asking me to do. And my husband then looks at me glaring from across the room and is like, did you not realize the tone he was using and how we don't want him to whine and you just gave in to whatever he wanted. So I guess help me help. Yeah. 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 So no, so that's super helpful. And, and oftentimes I would ask like, okay, can you give me an example? But for this one, it sounds like it's just like, it's just whatever he wants, right? Like when he wants something, he goes to this kind of whiny voice. And, and I think that this is a really good point. So, so let's start at why this triggers some parents, not you. And we'll get to why maybe. And these are all, you know, this is my guess, right? But, but the way that I guess at things is, is kind of based on, you know, the, the ways in which psych, psychologists, psychiatrists work, therapists work with people on this stuff. So, so the reason that whining is so triggering to so many people is because whining was not allowed in their home growing up. So whining was uh, the the immediate response to whining from their primary caregivers, whether that's a parent or, you know, an education system, if they were, you know, primarily, most of our kids are raised as much by their teachers as they are by us, you know, and all this stuff, like the, the, the whining for their formative years and their formative relationships was just like, we don't do that. Don't use that tone with me. You're annoying. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we then hear a kid whine, what happens in, in our body is that we have deeply embedded neural pathways in our brains that, that can pick up on that tonality and that can remember when we did that. Even it's not, it's not usually an explicit memory, right? Like it doesn't come to our conscious thought. We're like, oh, I remember when I was like this. But just implicitly, like we remember what it was to whine when we were, and how old's your son remind me? Two and a half. Two and a half. So when we were two and a half, we don't have explicit memories usually. Maybe like something traumatic, but, or, or, or in other ways, you know, really exciting or something. But, but most of the time, people who have memories from that early they don't actually have a memory. They have a memory of a memory. They have a memory of their parents' memory of them doing something at two and a half. Um, But anyway, um, when we don't have an explicit memory, but we have an implicit memory and our implicit memory is incredible. Like our implicit memory is wild. Mm -hmm. Like we can track people implicitly remembering traumatic things at days and weeks old. So, so the idea that your body would not remember what it was like to be a two and a half year old and to whine and how you got um, punished, scolded, shamed for that, for sure it would. For sure your body remembers. And The Body Keeps Score is a really great book that talks about trauma um, in this way. But, but uh, your body remembers this. And because your body remembers this, your, you start to feel the shame feelings that were heaped onto you 
and the punishment and the fear that was leveraged against you in your paradigm. And, and so then you're like, stop making me feel these feelings. And that's why it's triggering, right? Like it's triggering because mm -hmm. your kid is bringing up in you something that's deeply hurtful implicitly. And so you're like, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop talking like that. Like, and that reaction is because you're like, don't make me feel this way, right? Like that's really what this is, what's going on. So versus you, you're like, I don't even hear it. It's like, well, how did your parent, how would you guess your parents dealt with your whining? Well, what's so interesting though, no, like I was raised in a very authoritarian, sure, like 80s, 90s style parenting where I, it was fear-based. There was a lot of that shame-based parenting. And, and my husband actually had less of that in his home than I did. So sure. what's just been so interesting too, because I'm in this like reparenting journey myself right now that I haven't actually openly talked a lot about with like okay, cycle Okay, good on you. Good, good on you. Good on you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work, but- What's so surprising to me is that I'm not doing things the way that they were modeled. For some bizarre reason, it it's comes not bizarre. Really, it's just weird it's to not me bizarre. that like, yeah. So, so our most common response to to being traumatized in this way is to enact that trauma because we make meaning out of it. In that, look, I have to cope. Men do this more than women, in my experience. I have to cope with the reality that I am who I am, and I part of that is a product of my of my parenting right? Maybe less of that is a product of parenting than, than we think. But, but, you know, there are some studies that are out right now that are, that are kind of pushing back on the idea that everything's parenting, but at least part of it, a big part of it is that this is how you're parented. Well, there's two different ways to make meaning out of something. Well, there's a million ways, infinite ways to make meaning out of something, but there's two common ways that people make meaning out of trauma or shame. Um, and number one is doing exactly what I said, right? They, they feel it they carry on that, hey, I, I'm better for it, or I needed that, or look, I'm happy with the person I became, therefore I must be happy with the way that my parents raised me, right? Um, that's one side. The other side is, I would never do what was done to me to someone else. Mm -hmm. And that, a lot of people think that that's like, you know, altruistic, or that just, for some reason, this is how some people respond to trauma. My the person, the only person who I let really watch my kids without me being physically in the vicinity for long periods of time, raised in an authoritarian, hardcore household. Um, but her response to that trauma was, I can never do that to my kids mm -hmm. and I will never do that to your kids. So it doesn't surprise me that you were raised in a really, but, but on your reparenting journey, you may find that some of that repressed stuff and the I will never do that to somebody else stuff. You kind of go through cycles and stages. So, so, so here's what we do about the whining, regardless of how it affects us, right? Here's what we do about the whining. Number one, we do our own work. Reparenting is always the first work that we do ever, ever. So you're already on the journey. You're already doing it. Now you just got to convince your husband that he needs to reparent himself too. <laughs> Good luck. Um, you know, usually one, one member of the couple is more hesitant in most families to go at it. It's not always based on gender. Oftentimes though, there's one who's like, I don't want to reparent. Uh, no, thanks. I'm good with this. Yeah. Um, so, so that's step one is to do the work of realizing why am I being triggered or not triggered by this? Why am I giving into this or why am I being triggered to this? Why am I not able to create, in other words, a healthy, effective response to this? Mm -hmm. Why am I just reacting? Maybe you react by, I want him to stop whining, so I'm going to give him whatever he wants, or I'm just going to go over to him and it doesn't even affect me, so I'm just going to go give it to him so he stops. Husband might be, my response is that I, I want to punt this child out the window, right? Like, but... <laughs> But neither here nor there, why am I re responding? Why am I reacting and how, and how would I prefer to respond? And then number two is then asking the question of what is the child actually communicating? Does the child even know at two and a half that this is undesirable communication style? And how can we actually effectively uh, mitigate some of that without doing it with this shame, punishment, bribes, threats, rewards paradigm and that most of us were raised in. Um, and I think it starts with understanding that our, our goal is not compliance and control and obedience. That's not our goal because those are mm -hmm. not good. Those are not good lifetime goals. Uh, you don't want your child to be an obedient 20 year old. 
So don't you don't need them to be an obedient two-year-old. Like Yeah, I don't want to raise a people pleaser e- either. I don't want to raise a people pleaser. <laughs> I don't want to raise someone who is willing to accept toxic abuse because it comes from an authority figure. Right. Now we're getting really deep, right? Mm-hmm. Um but but uh so that's that's part one, right? Is is where is this coming from and what what are my actual goals? And then part two is there are plenty of ways that we can communicate, even to two and a half year olds, that they're doing something that maybe doesn't really work in our family paradigm, right? Like, I think a lot of people are like, oh, it's all about the kid and it's all about child-led and this and that and the other. And it's like, yeah, but that's 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 pretty naive. Like, there is an aspect of like, if your kid is doing something that they that is triggering to you, yes, I want you to do the work so that it's not triggering. I also want you to be able to communicate effectively with your kid that, hey, you know, yeah. mom doesn't like when you touch her teeth. <laughs> like, that's just something, like, we're not just doing, like, I understand that it's, not hurting anyone, but, but also we're going to be respectful, right? Yeah. And, and respect looks like equity. It looks like everybody getting what they need, including the parents, right? So, so, so the way that you do this is not addressing it in the moment. You can choose to give uh, your son what he needs in that moment. You can choose to try and, you know, redirect and model, you know, oh, you want this? Okay, I'll give it to you. You know, like you can try and model stuff in the but really in those moments, that's not, the, that's not the time to teach. The time to teach is later. The time to teach is to come back over this 20, 30 minutes later and go, hey, so the way that you asked that before, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that tone of voice. Yeah. And, 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 and this is not a, you know, it's okay to talk like that. It's okay to feel that way. And it's okay to ask me for things. But the way that you ask that, you know, that's, that's not the easiest way for me to hear it. What are some other ways? And at a two and a half, it's hard just mm-hmm. to hear it. At two and a half, this stuff is like trying to catch a mouse. Like, it, like you're <laughs> trying to get to a point here and the thing is just, you know, they're just bouncing around. Like they're, you're, but when you do it at two and a half, you learn to do it with the hardest possible scenario with a two and a half year old. And then at three and a half, when the whining comes out, and by the way, the whining is not going anywhere. It'll, it'll go hibernate for a couple of years at five, at six, all of a sudden you're going to start to hear again <laughs> the baby voice come out that's a developmentally normal neurological function where we try when we start yeah. to separate from our parents in early school age we try and remind them that we're still a baby that's good so to know the baby voice comes out and that sets dad and mom on edge or that creates this reaction in mom and dad mm-hmm. so so just understanding that this is how we handle all things that are not ideal. We, we talk about them later and we process them later and we don't, you know, people say, you know, you can accept the feelings and correct the behavior. I think we go even further than that. We just, we validate, we validate that yeah. like, you have needs, you have needs and I am here to help you manage those needs. Yeah. I feel like I always, with whatever it is, I try to validate, right? Like even if there's something that he wants and it's like a firm no, right? It's like saying, you know, I know this is hard. I know you really want to do this, but right now it's just not in the cards. Right. And, but then he saw and getting to the root. Yeah. And the getting root to the root. Of it. Yeah. Right. So then my husband sees this TikTok video this week of this older lady talking about whining. And it's how Brat she... Buster. <laughs> Which one? It's Brat Buster. Okay. And yeah, so she's she... super toxic. But anyway, go on. Okay. I need to look and see who that really was. But anyway, um, she was talking about how if your kid is whining, don't give them any attention. Don't look at them. Don't even say don't whine. Like say nothing because any response like elicits, oh, whatever, this this works because mo- mom is paying attention to me now, right? And right. so my husband was like wanting me to try this. And I tried it yesterday morning and I was like, I, like, I can't do this. Like how much longer am I supposed mm. to ignore him? I prefer to mm-hmm. say like, hey, buddy, like, don't whine. Can you ask mommy in like a different way? And he'll be like, he'll like rub his chest and be like, please, mommy. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Well, but my so, husband was again, like glaring at me like, honey, like I, we said that we were going to try to like ignore it. And now you're giving into it again. And he thinks it's okay right. to whine. And I'm like, I don't know if this is the right way. Yeah. So, so, so actually I know it's not Brad Buster. I know the video that you're talking about. And, and so it comes from a pretty established developmental voice in child rearing. I mean, pretty big, pretty big. And so what I like to say is, is 
you can be boring about your response to something, but choosing to completely ignore it. So this is what I try and say with hitting, right? People say ignore hitting because then it won't be fun. Mm -hmm. No, I'm just boring about hitting. They hit me and I just don't give them what they want, but I don't ignore them. I feel like if you're ignoring it, you're saying it's, it's okay still, right? You're not... well, I don't even think, I think it even goes beyond that. I don't, I, I think it goes beyond the, it's okay. It's not okay. These, these things still come from a kind of behaviors and paradigm of I'm trying to gain compliance, right? I think it goes to, is preventing this behavior worth the trade-off? Because here's the thing. I could tell you how to prevent any behavior, right? It's through brutal punishment. You can prevent a behavior through brutal yeah. punishment. Like it will work because we will do anything and we can to avoid that punishment, right? But the question is, is what, what else is that communicating? And so the thing with ignoring kids, for whatever reason, ignoring them for this, or the, and you could go to sleep training, like you could go the whole thing, right? When you ignore your kid, you make them question whether you're truly responsive to their needs. And, and so my thing is, I'd rather have a kid who whines at two and a half who maybe winds all the way up till three and I got to do my work and I got to work out enough and I got to get enough sleep so that I can cope with their annoying whining, right? <laughs> I got to have my class of wine at the end of the day so I can cope with their annoying whining. I would rather have to cope with annoying whining at three than have a 13-year-old who doesn't think that I'm going to respond because remember this implicit, this implicit memory stuff is real. So, yeah. so I, you know, if it becomes clear that we're going to ignore things that make us uncomfortable, then when your child is in a dangerous online chat room with some person who she thinks is a 14 year old Jonas Brothers fan, I don't know what it's going to be then <laughs> someday, right? Or, or, in, yeah. you know, you th- and, and we're like, hey, let's meet up. And you're like, I don't know, that maybe is not a good idea. Maybe this person's not safe. But you know what, this is going to be super annoying to mom, I'm just not going to tell her. Yeah. She ignores me when it's annoying. So, so like, that's where I go. And again, I don't want to put too much, too much stock into it's not, we're not talking about, we did it one time, we ignored them five times, we tried it for a day or two. And now at 16, my child's not going to tell me when they're at a party and need right. to get driven home. But if we're, but if we're consistently doing this 50% of the time that they are annoying to us, we ignore them because we've learned that that's a behavioral modification technique that works, which cause it does. She's right. The, the, the person talking about this developmental uh, person, tr- child rearing is talking about this. She's like, yeah, it works. And I'm like, yeah, no, of course it works. Yeah. But like, do you, at what cost and, and to what end? And maybe in 50 years, this podcast is going to be like, Oh, look how dumb this guy was that he thought this affected kids. But the question <laughs> is, you know, my, my thing is I'd rather err on the side of, with with the teen mental health crisis where it is today, I would so much rather err trying to be safe than yeah. err the other direction. So so I think that you don't ignore your kids, even if it's effective, because it's effective to what end? The reason that they're not whining now is because you've communicated clearly to them that you're not going to listen to them. In the same way, again, with the sleep training thing, right? The reason that kids stop crying for you is because they know you're not coming. Like to me... I'm like, man, that's, 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 I don't know if I could do that. I have to find another way to do yeah. that. Yeah. So that's, um, and that's why I think it made me so uncomfortable doing it even just for a couple of minutes yesterday is because I think it did trigger something in me because that was sort of like how it was when I was little, you know, like sure, if I was in trouble or something, my mom would just kind of give me the cold shoulder and I hated that. Well, so you just said it, right? When I was in trouble, my mom gave me the cold shoulder and I don't like how I feel, how that felt. Yeah. And I know it and I can feel it. And, and I will say that that's like one of the most harmful things that a parent can do mm-hmm. is to, I mean, I've, this ignoring the whining thing is a, is, is a little bit different, but, but truly the, you know, I'm disappointed with you and I'm just not even going to engage you. Yeah. Like children are, we are, humans are inherently social creatures. The idea, I would much rather have my maternal figure mad at me and still engaging me them ignoring me yeah. and cold shouldering me because that says to me your place in the tribe in the pack in the family is in danger or, or yeah. at least it's not perm- it's not guaranteed right. right or like or that my love for you is conditional like you don't want to totally. feel that way as a kid 
No, well, you don't want to, I mean, do you want to feel that way with your husband? No, like never. You never want to feel that way. But especially <laughs> as a kid way? when your parents are your entire world and they're there to keep totally. you safe and make you feel loved. Yeah. So right. the ignoring thing is not, it's not for me. I already told my husband, this is not the way I am going to talk to John and John is going to give me a new method. <laughs> yeah. So I think that the method is number one, we do our own work and I know we got to move on. We got more questions, I'm sure. But, but number one, we do our own work and this stuff can apply to anything. It doesn't have to just be whining, right? We do our own work to figure out why this thing is so triggering to us. And that might be the hardest part of all. Yeah. Because when you start digging, you find things. Um, so, so you do your own work, you figure out why it's triggering. Maybe that in and of itself becomes so fulfilling, that process becomes so fulfilling that you wind up going, you know what? I can put up with this. This is not a big deal. At four years old, we're gonna be able to have a conversation about this and, and this is not gonna be a big deal anymore. And I can tolerate this for a little bit. Yeah. That might be acceptable. That might be an acceptable solution. But if you're like, no, I, this needs to change or this needs to be altered, you just approach your kid from the perspective of how you'd want somebody to approach you with something. Hey, we were at this meeting the other day and you said this thing that was kind of you know critical. And when you tell me things in those terms, it doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make me want to do my job better. You said that to a manager, the manager is going to go, okay, I, I, I see that. Like, let me, if they're healthy, they're yeah. okay. I see that. Like you don't have to approach kids any differently. I mean, mm -hmm. smaller words, but you, Hey, you did this thing. I'm just, I'm not a huge fan of the way in which you did it. I definitely want you to tell me when you have something that you need, when you need help, tell me, please, I want to know so I can help you. Um, but the way that you asked when you go like, yeah, 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 isn't that kind of funny the way that we can do that with our voices? Yeah. You know, I just don't, I'm not a huge fan of that. And then maybe, you know, this is the other thing I like to do with kids, especially young kids. It's like, maybe let's for the next 10 minutes, let's practice our best whining about everything turn it into a game. Okay. Like, nah, I want this. I want that. And just go around both of you whining and then say, okay, let's put the whining back in a box and we can break. If you feel like whining again, you just let me know. We'll pull the whining back out of the box. We'll have so much fun with the whining. I love that. I've used that same sort of example with anxiety, right? Where they say, instead of feeling anxious all throughout the week, randomly pick a time and like journal yes. everything you're anxious about. <laughs> Easier yes. said than done, obviously, but same sort yes. of concept. Yes. No, no. And, and it worked like so much of the, the reasons that I'm successful on these platforms is not because I'm, I'm giving people this amazing advice about kids. I'm giving them advice that like is stuff like that, right? Like this stuff comes from the worlds of therapy and psychology mm -hmm. and like, oh my God, did you know that little kids are human beings that <laughs> yeah. have like, that have brains? Oh, I didn't realize that you could use ground, like people, you know, we have all these techniques that help highly anxious adults grounding and, you know, contemplative practices and journaling and exercise and all this, this stuff works for grownups. And people are like, I had no idea that would work with a two-year-old. And I'm like, no, it's almost as if they're a human. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Right. It's almost as if they're a whole friggin' person, which is why yeah. I'm called whole parent. Like, yes. And they like, are worthy of respect just as you and I are as adults. Or yeah, or or you know they're worthy of respect, and so are you as an adult. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's the hardest thing in the world, right? Like we give to our kids what we can't give to ourselves, and and ultimately, we're faking it because if you can't give it to yourself, you can't give it to your kid. You mm -hmm. can fake it to your kid, but you can't give it to your kid. And so that's why, really, ultimately, reparenting. I mean, this is the secret. This is yeah. the secret sauce. Until you reparent yourself, until you deal with your own stuff. Well, so I guess I know we only have so much time, but let me just, cause I've never spoken about this on my platform Do it, and I'm in, in the middle of my therapy. So I, I just feel like this really makes a lot of sense. So I will tell you sort of that breaking point I had where I was like, I need to go back to see my therapist mm -hmm. for reparenting and cycle breaking and all of that, because yep. I was like, I didn't know what to do anymore. So I think if you were raised in a very authoritarian way, yeah. then Either you you might end up being just like your parents because it's hard to break that cycle or you yep. want to be the complete opposite. And right. so there was this one afternoon where my son was standing up in the kitchen on his little learning tower and he had yep. these little play figures that he was playing with and he threw them off of the counter. And of course, I was like, hey, buddy, we don't throw our toys. We don't do that. you know. And, mm -hmm. and 
I was going to do all the things like take them away and be like, look, if you if you can't be gentle with your toys, then mommy's going to take these toys. But what I really wanted him to do is I wanted him to pick them up. And I was even going to like go with him and help him, right? And like support him through it, whatever, mm-hmm. be like mm-hmm. super conscious parent. But he gets down on the ground and he is just like, no, yeah. I am not picking them up. And we were at a standoff. And all I could think in my head was what my mom would have done yep. if that was me. And all these like memories flashed through my eyes. But then it was at the same time, though, of me sitting there saying, okay, I so deeply respect my child, but also I feel like he doesn't respect me. Like I want this Mm -hmm. like equal respect because I was sitting there with him on the floor just feeling like I was getting stepped all over. Like he was just – so it's like this fine line of I don't want to hit my child. I don't want to yell at my child, but also I don't want to be so soft that he can just do whatever he wants. And so that's when – everything from my childhood came like flooding back and I went to therapy and I'm still in therapy and it's definitely helping so much. And I'm like I mean, finding my you. voice in parenting, but yeah, that's where I mean, I'm good at. for you. So, so yeah. So, so number one, yeah, I, I, I don't want parents to be their kids first bully. I don't want kids to be their parents bully either. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, I think sometimes we have to remember that disagreement is not disrespect and that's an example of where our parents, whether you were raised authoritarian or really even in the 90s and early 2000s, authoritative. Mm-hmm. Like even if your parents didn't result to the, the, the paradigm was still compliance. Yeah. Right? And that's the hardest thing I find for parents to break is it, it, they can get to, I'm not going to yell. Well, it's hard, right? I'm not going to yell intentionally. I'm not going to... Uh, hit. I'm not going to punish in these ways. I'm not going to give timeouts, whatever. But I'm okay if my kid disagrees with me yeah, and suffers the consequences of their own actions. Like, wow, that's the next step. Like mm-hmm. that is such a far removed thing. And so I think you go about this scenario very in a healthy way, right? Kid throws the toys on the floor. First question is, why are we against throwing toys? And then, and then well, you know, one of them like, broke. So one of them broke. Okay. So that's a great example. So, yeah. so, so the kid throws toys on the floor. One of them breaks. Other one, not broken. So I go hold up the figure and I go, Hey, we just threw these on the floor. Yes. You just threw them on the floor. You don't have to use we language, but you just threw this on the floor. It broke. Now it's broken. Like, yes, I know. I know <laughs> that it's broken. I see that it's broken don't want you to break this one. Mommy bought this for you and I don't want you to break it. But if you want to break it, you can. Oh, <laughs> because, because, because we're just going to put it, mom, where's that toy? It's broken. I had to get rid of it because it was broken. We don't keep broken toys. I, by the way, if you're a parent listening to this, don't keep broken toys. Do, unless it is the blanket from the hospital or something or the one sentimental comfort object, we don't keep broken toys. So many parents I know House is filled with broken toys. Your kid doesn't want broken toys. So don't keep broken toys. Uh, I say this with a broken toy downstairs that my kids love. But um, yeah. So um, step one, right? We don't, we're not going to do the broken toys thing. Um, but, but if they break the toys, we are going to be okay with the reality that now the toy is broken and maybe that's just the consequence and most parents are like, no, I do not like that. I do not want that. I want to prevent my child from having the same struggles that I have. To which I say, then you have to let them break their toys so that they stop breaking their toys. If they don't, right? But all of this is kind of missing the mark here because that's, okay, that's this individual situation. What about when your kid says no to, I want to touch the hot stove? What about when your kid says no to something that's not a broken toy? What if your kid says no to going to school? or whatever, right? Like, then what do we do? Yeah. And I think that in those cases, we have a, com- a completely different approach, which is why? And, and by the way, if you're like, John, I'm not gonna let my kid break their toys. That's okay too. Let's find another way that your kid can throw the toy then. Like, let's go, okay, we're gonna yeah. go up to our, we're gonna create a, we're gonna put your comforter in the corner and you can throw your toy into the, and they're like, oh, but that's boring. I don't wanna do that. And it's like, well, that's the way that we can throw toys. Look, yeah. You said I wanna throw toys. I gave you the, yeah, or let's go outside and play with your balls. Yeah. Here's the outlet. Here's the thing you can throw. Yeah. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, 
well, that's the thing. I mean, that, like the, I want a million dollars, right? Is what my parents used to say. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. mean I'm going to get it. Right. Um, so, so, you know, so that's number one, but, but what if your kids are just doing something you're just truly at a power struggle? My, my advice is always just, if you can ask why and get to the why, do it. If you can't, mm -hmm. if you're like, no, 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 I'm still in my reparenting journey. By the way, this is me 90% of the time. I'm still in my reparenting journey. I can't do power struggles yet. Then don't get, don't engage the power struggle. Just step out. It takes two people to fight. Just don't engage it. And people are like, but, but John, like, but, but no, I will literally just pick my kid up and go, we just can't be in the kitchen right now because I can't, I, I can't let you touch the stove. So, and when they're yelling, saying, I don't want to put my shoes on and get in the car to go to school, you just pick them up and put them in the car seat. <laughs> I mean, so, so yeah. So you, so I think so many things can be a game that we can create, right? This is the whining thing we can we can create a game out of putting our shoes on and getting in the car. We can create a game of how can we, let's see how softly we can put the toy down on the ground instead of throwing it. We can create games and engagement for that. But ultimately, we have to be willing to let our kids suffer the consequences of, what, of their actions. And one of the biggest problems that I run into with parents is that they're so unwilling to let their kids suffer any consequence, even when the consequence is not severe. Like, yeah. like, look, your mom said you can't go into the room with her right now because she's nursing. Like the consequence is that mom is not going to be happy when you walk into this room. I'm doing it anyway, my six-year-old says. Okay. Yeah. So like walk into the room, mom's not happy. Walk out. Yeah, I mean, you told me that that was going to happen. Yeah, I did explain it. Mom did say don't come into this room and you did it anyway. And how did it play out? How are we going to process this now? How are we going to repair the relationship. People are like, we'll never get upset at your kids. Never feel this way, that way, the other. No, let your kids know like that you're their primary relationship. Now you have yeah. to understand the power, the leverage. I actually have a post about this. This may be my email tomorrow. You have to understand the leverage that you have is outrageously disproportionate. Like you have so like your snide word could absolutely deconstruct them. Mm -hmm. But, but, just because you have power and leverage does not necessarily mean that you should, on all cases, shield your kid from any negative relational consequence that you have. Look, I just don't think it sets kids up. I don't think it sets kids up for real world consequences to their actions because the real world consequence to hitting someone is not a timeout. The real world consequence of hitting someone is like, and people are going to be like, jail, battery. No, come on. It's broken relationship. Yeah. So like I let my kids break their relationship sometimes. Like I let my kid hit my other kid. Now, if it's going to be bad, right? I will allow it to happen and then I will separate them and I'll say, look at how this made each other feel. How did we do this? Now I'm not going to let my kid hit another kid with a hammer or bite them or something. I'll intervene before I can. But, but ultimately they have to know that the reason that we don't do things is because it breaks relation. Like, like, yeah. you know, and this is not about people pleasing. This is about being conscious and empathetic and understanding. I think that that's really tough for most gentle parenting advocates. They're like, I don't want my kid to ever suffer a negative consequence. Yeah. Like none of us want to see our kids fall on their face in any way, but we're not always going to be there. They have to make some deci decisions themselves and, yeah, I think like natural consequences are great. That's something that I've been working more on too. And I, okay, so this is another thing my husband and I were debating. So tell me if okay. this is considered a nat a natural consequence or not. But so we always read four books at bedtime. He reads yep. two and I read two, which yep. my girlfriend was like, wow, that's a lot. We read one every night with our two and a half year old. But anyway, so he has just been- Can't read your kid too much. Keep going. Exactly. He loves to read. And he just keeps stretching bedtime as I'm uh -huh. sure every toddler does. And yep. so yesterday when again, he just really wasn't listening and just wouldn't get his pajamas on, wouldn't do it. I was like, listen, buddy, if you can't listen for us to get into our bedtime routine, then we're going to maybe have to cut it down to three books tonight because we're running out of time. So my husband looked at me and was like, uh, -uh like that's not it because he had a feeling that I was also not going to stick to that, that I was still going to read the fourth book anyway. But so now I'm like, okay, if I were to stick to that, is yeah. that an okay 
natural consequence or is that bad? I think it's I think it's really hard for any consequence for a two and a half year old. I think yeah. I think the two and a half year olds just have a really hard time with cause and effect still. And I think yeah. that people think that there's a developmental capacity to understand cause and effect that isn't there. For a four year old, that's absolutely a not natural consequence. Like and I think that you you we have to just be kind of brutally objective like the way that i do it with my kids go through the same thing right the way that i will do it with my kids is i go hey buddy like reading time ends at this time whatever it is right now it's 7 15. Mm -hmm. like reading time ends at 7 15 we turn off the lights we go to bed always if we start reading at 7 14 reading time ends at 7 15 we turn off the lights and we go to bed. Yeah. If we start reading at 6.45, reading time ends at 7.15. We turn off the lights and we go to bed. Yeah. Right? So like, like they can spend their time you, however you they want. decide what do you want to do? Yeah. Like, do you want, like, does this, and, and then interrupting, I, I, what I th say is like a lot of times your job is just to interrupt the dysfunction. So like a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just interrupt the dysfunction. I'll, he'll be like running around, hiding, like, I'm not going to brush my teeth, blah, blah, blah. It's like, hey, buddy. This might sound and feel fun right now, but I want you to think about the opportunity cost here. Like, I want you to think about the real world implications of the opportunity cost related to continuing to hide and run away and brush your teeth, not brush your teeth. And so, well, I don't want to brush my teeth. And I'm like, okay. So let's think about the real, real world implications of not brushing our teeth. You went to the dentist on Monday. You had no cavities. You went to the dentist two years ago. You had a mouthful of cavities. The result of that was really, really traumatic. Like, you know now, right? I'm not saying that you should let your kid's teeth rot. That was just bad parenting on my part. But, like, I'm not saying that was, like, an example of my great parenting that I let my kid have a <laughs> ton of cavities, right? Like, I was just not good at brushing his teeth. But, but, but you, we have to, like, get to a point where we're comfortable with the consequence affecting our kid. I would say with the two and a half year old who's struggling to go to bed and extending out the bedtime routine, it's not about consequences at all. At all, it's about routine. And so, what I like to tell parents is if they're if they're bucking the routine, if they're trying to get off off program, then what that tells me is that the routine is not solid enough. So I like to say, you know, bedtime routine is like robot stuff. Like we don't again playful, right? But like when we do bedtime routine. This is, we always do these five things. Mm -hmm. and, and it has to be so robotic and rote and rigid, which is funny because I, I talk about how rigidity is terrible for kids generally. But in certain aspects, I mean, we're talking about biological sleep hormone functions here. Yeah. If you're telling me that your kid's stalling, what, what I'm actually hearing is this kid is, is struggling to to hit that routine in a way that makes sense for them. And that's not your fault. That's just kids change. So sometimes, you know, it's, hey, we need to add a little bit, something different to our bedtime routine that, that keeps us moving along. Like, hey, we always sit on the potty while we put our shoes on with the lid closed or we, mm -hmm. while we put our PJs on. Like, it can be silly you know, actionable things, but, but they can just be concrete that just have to be concrete. We have to do this in this order. We have to do this in this way. Yeah. It, it just kind of gets kids into a place where it's like, the only reason that kids stall is because they feel like there is time to, if they don't, if the, if the bedtime routine is so well oiled that they're just like, dup, 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 then all of a sudden they like, they're like, wait a minute, how am I in bed right now? And that's the goal of the bedtime routine because ultimately what you're trying to do is you're trying to, you're trying to train their body to, to wind down and then go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And what's, so that's the challenge. Yeah. What's interesting though, that my husband and I have noticed is that when it's not the dynamic of the two of us, like if I'm out somewhere, which is yep. rare, but he, like he has basketball once a week and sure. he's gone in the evenings and I do bedtime by myself. And it is like that. It is like that well-oiled machine where we do pajamas teeth, you know, get into bed and then we read and we snuggle and that's it. Mm -hmm. And I get him down so much faster than when it's both of us. And my husband has said it's the same for him. So that's really interesting that when it's both of us there, it's so different. 
Well, and, and so, so you're already identifying, right? I, I love that you've identified this and that you've like said, so, so maybe the answer to the question is not how do we find a natural consequence that looks like one fewer book? Maybe the answer to the question is, Hey babe, I think I just got to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. And I think you just got to do Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, because mm -hmm. at this point, like we're just not like, maybe it's really important for both of us to, to get the opportunity to do it. Maybe it's not something that it's like, I feel for my wife because we have three and I do the two kids and she does the one and like, she misses it. She misses out on, yeah. on that time. Um, she gets to do it sometimes, but it's rare. Um, because it's actually really hard on my three-year-old when she does, to be honest, he loves it. He absolutely obsessed with it. But like, then if he wakes up in the middle of the night and she has to be with the baby or something like, like it just creates a challenge for him. And this is mm -hmm. one of the things, sometimes the things that your kids love also challenge them. I, we get into this with candy and sweets all the time, right? Like candy and sweets, kids love them. They're really usually the bane of the existence of the child. Yeah. They, they might love it and it might not be good for them. Um, and I'm not saying that because, you know, I'm not trying to demonize any sort of food, but, but, there's an aspect of which like some kids just don't know how to regulate and yeah. it, it causes them p discomfort and, you know, same thing with the iPad or the screens or whatever. Some kids cannot just cannot do it. Um, they just have to be screen free because I have no way of regulating this well. Um, but, but maybe we're at the point now where we're like, okay, I got to do bedtime these days and dad's got to do bedtime these days. And, you know, maybe that's hard, but maybe that is what it looks like to find a balance where, you know, the, the consequence becomes irrelevant because we're actually hitting what we need. We're, we're getting done what we need to get done. Yeah. I think the ideal parenting, you would never, you would never leverage a consequence because you would allow them to face their own consequences through non-intervention when, when possible. And yeah. you would create such a trusting relationship that ultimately you wouldn't need consequences for the things like the hot stove. You would just be able to say, you try, I say yes when I can say yes, always. Therefore, when I say no, I mean it. Yeah, that's a good point. So that when you do say no, it's really no. And it's for their safety or for their well-being or whatever, you know. Gosh, I, parenting I, is hard. It's, it's super hard. I think we make it harder than it, it needs to be sometimes with the things that we do. I think certainly the way in which we were raised makes parenting a lot harder mm -hmm. because like you said, right now I'm also parenting myself in that moment when my two and a half year old is standing there. Saying, no, you know, like yeah. it would be a lot easier if you were raised by perfect parents to yeah. know how to respond in that moment, wouldn't it? But there's but, um, so much pressure for us if you are like a generational cycle breaker or just yep. in general parenting in the day and age. There's so much pressure. I'm so worried with every interaction. Like, am I going to get it right? Am I going to F him up somehow long term? And it, like, I know I'm such a good mom. Like, I hope it's okay to say that. Like, I put yeah. a lot of good. pride and like re I research parenting stuff. I'm reparenting. I go to therapy. Like I do all these things all for him. All like I saw this quote yesterday. I wanted to read it. It said... Yeah. Another form of generational wealth is parents who can regulate their emotions. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, I think that, I think that this really gets to something and, and this, uh, I'm, I, there's another podcast being released, um, or probably right before this one is released, um, that I was on with, uh, V Spear who's, uh, under the desk news. And in that podcast, we were talking about how this, like one of the most toxic parts of the gentle parenting movement is that it puts parents in this place of constant judgment of themselves. And ultimately it's kind of, and each other of non-gentle parents, right? Mm -hmm. And shame for non-gentle parents. And, and, and the, my ultimate gripe grief with the way in which the, the most of the Instagram and TikTok and Facebook parenting creators come off is that it really feels like you got to be on a hundred percent of the time. And what we fail to say is kind of what I said earlier, like we're not talking, you can't screw your kid up in one interaction. Yeah. Like it, it's like 
I mean, barring, I mean, we're like, yeah, sure. It's super traumatic abuse or neglect. Like, oh, I left my kid for three days. Like, okay. Yeah. If that's an interaction, I guess. <laughs> but, but, but like you cannot yell at your kid one time and break them forever. Right. Kids are so resilient and so anti-fragile. Like mm -hmm. we think they're fragile. They're anti-fragile. They bounce. And so like, yes, what we're talking about is not getting into habits where over a period of years behaving in this ignoring way, punishing way, bribing paradigms, whatever. Yeah, that stuff has effects over years. But by and large, the generation that we are raising, whatever you want to call them, I don't even know if they have a name yet. The generation that we are raising, like these kids are not going to grow up into adults who can't emotionally regulate because even the parents who are in the authoritarian parenting paradigm of 2023 are not authoritarian parents from the 1980s. Mm -hmm. like, like even the people who are still advocating for brutally, you know, antiquated and barbaric parenting practices are not like we have laws that prevent them from being able to do those things and mandatory reporting. Like, so, so there is an aspect of which like, yeah, we have not seen what it looks like to have a generation of kids raised in this way, but your kid's not going to be broken, screwed up, damaged because you, because you didn't, because you weren't perfect. And in fact, what I like to tell parents all the time is, you know how really more harmful it would be if you were perfect? Like, can you imagine there, there's this uh, show that people are obsessed with called This Is Us? Mm, I haven't watched it yet. Okay. So, so one of the main dynamics in this uh, show is the dynamic between the, the one, there's three kids, they're, they're triplets. Um, um, well, they're, it's complicated. Anyway, the point is uh, two of them are biologically related and one of them is adopted, but was mm. born on the same day in the same hospital. And what the two biological children of the triplet set one of them is is a woman who struggles with obesity and specifically i mean not just obesity like with eating an eating disorder mm -hmm. and what comes out over seasons of the show which i can spoil now that it's been out forever um what comes out over seasons of the show is that a lot of her eating issues which is, this is by the way, pretty unreal, pretty unrealistic, but a lot of her eating issues are because she saw her mom be, have this perfect girl figure. It's Mandy Moore, she, you know, looks like mm -hmm. a movie star cause she is right. And a rock star cause she is and yeah. have this kind of idyllic, if that's a thing body. And, and because of that, she struggles to, she can't keep up and she can't compete with that. And so she doesn't know how to regulate and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The real reality is that it's the death of her father that causes her to have these issues, but it's not, that's not what, it's not how it's given. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, but, but ultimately like what we struggle with in that show is that we see a person who views their parent as perfect. My mom was perfect. My mom could have been a singer and I want to be a singer. My mom has this perfect body and I struggle, you know, to stay under however, whatever weight, like, like this, this relationship is what happens when a child creates a romanticized perfectionistic version of their parent. Yeah. And obviously it's a TV show, so it's not real, but, but there is definitely that dynamic. If you were raised with someone who you were taught is perfect in some way. And by the way, if we were perfect parents, our kids would view us that way. Like if you're a perfect parent, your kid doesn't know how to be resilient, but part of learning resilience is learning to watch you fail. It's to mm -hmm. watch you apologize for yelling at them. Like when people say, well, oh man, I was such a bad parent today. It's like, no, you have an opportunity to be a great parent today right. because you did something problematic and now you have an opportunity to fix it. And that is what your kid needs to watch you do. So, yeah. so this whole gentle parenting, I'm constantly judging myself. I'm constantly shaming myself. If you are constantly judging, judging and shaming yourself and that's what your kid is watching you do, what are they going to do? Mm -hmm. I mean, and for me personally, it's not, it's not like, judging and shaming it's just this fear of somehow not getting it right just because but that's I don't know. say you know but that but your kid at two and a half is yeah. watching you and i'm not saying that this is for but but if you continue down the path of going am i doing it right am i doing it right am i doing it right instead of 
I'm doing the best I can with what I got. And sometimes mm-hmm. that looks like apologizing. Yeah. But, and I, like, and I think it is important to have them see like real feelings. Like if I'm having a bad day, it's okay. Right. And it's about modeling for them, like what anger looks like or what frustration or stress or anxiety, like that it's okay to have these emotions, but like, here's how we handle them and outlets and right. right. Like, well, what does it look like to be angry? This is something that I'm dealing with, with some, uh, 55 year olds that I'm working with right now. Um, that the, these people were raised in a generation where it was not okay to be angry. So do they get angry still? Yes, but they know it's not okay, which means there are no rules. Look, I'm not supposed to be angry anyway, so I might as well just hurt as many people as I can while I'm angry. <laughs> Versus anger was modeled, anger is healthy, anger is a response to injustice, frustration is not anger, this is what frustration looks like, frustration is also healthy, mm-hmm. and, and saying like, look, watching mommy be frustrated about something and then me processing it with you later. Do you remember when I was frustrated earlier and that was so hard? Like what a beautiful opportunity Yeah. to give that to your kids. What a gift. Talk about generational wealth. What a gift to give to your kids that you modeled how to experience challenging emotions without shame, self-harm, self, you know, hiding in your phone, whatever. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. First of all, you're amazing at this. And second of all, what you said a few minutes ago, I cannot wait in 30 years to see like how this generation, yeah. whatever it's called, this generation of kids turns out, it's kind of like a little science experiment, you know, like we know how we turned out and like everyone says like, Oh, well I was spanked. I turned out fine. And it's like, but did you, did you really, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, sure. You made meaning. No. And so what I tell people when they say I was spanked and I'm better for it, I say, I'm sure that you believe that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't, I, I'm not, I, I know that you believe that. I know that it would be really hard for you to say I was spanked and my mom loved me and my mom didn't need to hit me. Those are, that's a hard mental, emotional gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Now you throw into the mix that the vast majority of people who even to this day are, are hit come from systemically marginalized communities. And then you go, well, I also feel that I have to defend my parents because they have been, you know, ravaged by poverty, racism, sexism, whatever. Like my mom was a single mom. I can't say anything negative about her. So, so now we have all of these self-protection things about ourselves, also about our parents. We're trying to protect them. We're trying to protect ourselves. And, and, and I will say, we know how we turned out and in this world that we live in right now let's give some credit to the boomers people don't like when i say this but let's give some credit to the boomers because in the world that we live in right now as backwards as many of them are and trying to do everything they can to undermine gentle parenting they raised a bunch of us who are doing it Mm -hmm. like they raised a bunch of us to be so self-assured or at least self-assured enough that you're willing to, you know, follow some guy on the internet who tells you that you don't need to punish your kids, even though that's your whole paradigm. Like that's, there is something beautiful about that. And I think that understanding, I mean, ultimately the real understanding here is my parents did not, did not raise me in a perfect way. I do need to process that and deal with that. Also, my parents probably were responding to their circumstances and they might have been doing, maybe they weren't doing the best that they could with what they had, but but they probably were doing as well as they thought they could. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. Yeah. That's a hard thing. So what will our generation be that was actually raised in this gentle parenting stuff? I don't know, but I know that even with the mess that we got, it was so much better than 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 what it could have been that, you know, some random guy in his thirties can get 300,000 followers on Instagram talking about why you shouldn't hit your kids. Yeah. That's well, let's have a follow up in 30 years and bring our kids on and see how it really turned out. (laughs) Well, and, and yeah, just let's, let's end on that. I think also we need to change the paradigm too. the next, the next, we were definitely raising the paradigm of, I was a great mom. Look at how my kids turned out. I think we also need to get to the point where we are willing to say, I was a great mom. Look at how I parented. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how my kids turned out. 
Yeah. Like your kid might wind up being, you know, a kid who just sits on the couch all day and plays video games. That doesn't make you a bad parent. Your parenting is defined by your actions towards your kids. Yep. It's not defined by, by their success in life. Right. I know a lot of people who beat the snot out of their kids and shame them to the ends of the earth and their kids are broken psychologically and have mental health conditions up the wazoo and work at Google mm-hmm. yeah. and make a whole lot of money and have no work-life balance. <laughs> so, so like, let's change the way that we talk about parenting to let's meet back up in 30 years and go, did I achieve my goals? Did I actually, did, did the, did my child grow up knowing that they were unconditionally loved? Do, do my children today, regardless of who they are or what they've done or, or whether my kid still lives in my garage, like do they 30 years down the road, did they ever question whether yeah. they were fully loved and accepted? And I think that that's like, we're not just fighting for success of parenting at this point. We are truly, and I, and I mean this, with the epidemic of mental health conditions for young adults and teens, we are fighting for our kids' lives. Yeah. That's what we're, re- I want my kid to grow up and never have to question whether he belongs, mm-hmm. any of them. My biggest goal is just for him to be happy, loved, and safe. It doesn't matter what college he gets into or if he goes to college at all. Those are my goals in raising my child and to be a good human. What a profound concept that, <laughs> that, that we want to raise. Kind, I think this is what I'm saying in the membership launch, uh, or no, this was in some book, a book proposal that I'm writing, but um, that we want, we want to raise kind, resilient, and healthy kids who, by the way, tend to be wildly successful. Yes, there you go. <laughs> because if you raise a kid this way, uh, they may not be successful in the industry that you want them to be successful in. Both me and my wife now do things where we both went to college. I went to grad school. I have a master's degree. We don't need any of that to do what we're doing. Now, it taught us how to learn. It taught me how to research and stuff. But yeah, my grad school degree has almost nothing to do with what I do, My, or at least in this aspect of my life. Uh, my wife has a nursing degree. She is a wildly successful professional photographer. Th- doesn't need to know how to be a nurse to do that. So yeah. like just understanding that th- there's, once you reparent yourself, you may find yourself quitting the job that your parents wanted you to have to do the thing that you really want to do. And, yeah. you know. It's very liberating it. reparenting yourself. It really is. Oh, it's the hardest thing in the world to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's very liberating. Well, tell us now as we wrap up about your yes. course and your enrollment. Yeah, so so I do have a course. The course is actually buried inside of a membership. So uh, I have a membership platform. At this point, I do not sell my course separate from my membership platform. And that's because uh, my course is always changing. It's, it's being added to. And I want people to be able to go into that course. And I want them to be able to, to join not only to get the information of how to raise healthy, resilient, successful, whatever kids, um, I kind kids. I also want parents to know that they're supported because ultimately what you're doing on this podcast, you're, you're, you're telling people, Hey, like you're not alone. You're, you're, mm-hmm. I'm here. I am your best mom friend. Right. Mm-hmm. And th- what I, the need that I saw exposed through doing the TikTok and the Instagram stuff was I could, I could sell a course for $200 or $150 and I could probably sell a couple thousand of them and be very happy with the financial result. But ultimately I think what parents need is beyond a course, they need a community where they Mm -hmm. can feel like, Hey, if nobody else in my world understands why I won't ignore my kid to get them to stop whining, at least this group of people will understand that. Yeah. Um, so it's really a village. It's a, it's, it's a membership. And basically you get full access to the, the course. It's probably, like I said, a hundred to $150 is what I'd sell it for. Um, you get that on day one. So you could book for a month. It's 25 bucks a month during this enrollment, uh, 250 a year. If you buy annually, you get two months free and, um, you could do it for a month and you could, you could say, watch the whole course and quit. Uh, I don't think you will. Cause I think you'll get inside and I think you'll find yourself interfacing with other amazing like-minded parents. And also I do exactly what we just did today, which is an hour of group coaching where I just do this 
with one parent after another. We're on a Zoom call. Sometimes it's 70 people. Sometimes it's only 10 or 15 people, depends on the time of day, um, four different times. So it kind of fits all schedules, all time zones um, during the month. And you can so sign on, you know, at these four different times throughout the month and just interface with, with me and ask and say, yeah, my kid's whining. What do I do about that? Um, mm -hmm. Or my kids, you know, I'm struggling. How do I say no? And how do I not let my kid walk all over me? And, and, and these things like you can just ask and we just do exactly what we just did here. So there's the group coaching, there's the, there's the community of the membership, there's the uh, course. And then also I do a monthly hour or 90 minute workshop, which is people vote on a topic. So we've done like how to not lose your shit on your kids was, <laughs> was one of them. Uh, another one was, um, oh shoot, I'm forgetting them. Oh, collaborative consequences and discipline. So how do we have our kid decide their own consequences? Not in a, you know, That's 1950s, cool. not, not in like a 1950s, pick your own switch type of way, but actually like, Hey, you know why you struggle to get off your iPad. How about you help me understand what we need to do to help you get off your iPad. Right? So we did one on that. We have two more coming up in May. We're doing a bonus one in May. So, um, yeah, that's, that's really cool. That's, that's what it is. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I, there's so much more that I'm forgetting right now. Like mailbag. Anyway, there's, there's, oh, and you can DM me. That's, I mean, that's really what people, you can just DM me any question at any time and I'll respond. Um, so yeah, that's the membership. It's 25 a month or 250 a year. Um, very, very few people have canceled. Uh, and you're going to see if you're following me on Instagram and stuff, you're going to see a bunch of videos of people who are just done it for three months now and they are just pumped. They're yeah. like, this is the greatest part of my life. So not really, they're parenting. So <laughs> that's the greatest part of their life. But this is this is the support system that for, you know, the cost of one meal out every single month, I can mm -hmm. get support. And, and it's life-changing. Cool. Well, yeah. I'm going to leave this in the show notes so that everyone listening can access it. And I think I may have to join as well. So I guess I will see you and yeah. all the other parents in this little community very soon. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today, John. Thank you for this platform. You are so, so needed. Thanks for tuning in. For more, follow along on Instagram at mybestmomfriend. I'll see you again next time.